How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. I titled this episode, Offense is the Best Defense when it comes to emotional regulation. We can't plan and work enough to make sure that our kids, our family, our friends, our spouses, and significant others, or even ourselves, never dysregulate. Dysregulation happens. Things go wrong. But there are absolutely things that we can put in place that help decrease the amount of dysregulation that happens and that puts us in the best position to address dysregulation ahead of time and in the moment, and it lays a groundwork and a framework for everyone. In the Family Norms series, I talked about how we build what's normal in our families and that the power of what is normal in our families is so much more powerful than any other influence, really. We default to what is baseline and normal for us. So there are three things that I very much suggest teaching your kids early or helping make practice in your kids early that both helps with self-regulation and with regulating our own body and mind for the moments that you're going to have to deal with their dysregulation in your home. But these also set them up for better self-regulation as adults. And I'm sure you will catch some of the undertones in here that go along with that. Regulatory skills snowball. And everything, both outside and inside of dysregulation, is practice. So when I am driving in the car with my kids, it is prime time. It's one of my favorite times to talk to my kids about all kinds of things because there's not really a whole lot of stimulation going on and I have their full attentions. And we've taken in our family to talking a lot in the car and asking questions in the car and unpacking um, a lot of times relational issues and, you know, friendship issues or, or things that we're running into. But those conversation times are prime times for us to teach our kids um, concepts and skills that can overlay and snowball into other areas of their lives. Building normal regulation in our kids promotes regulation when they're in the process of dysregulating or when they are actively dysregulating. So it's in these in-between moments where they're not dysregulated that we can build up some preventative and proactive measures to help them regulate themselves better. One of the first things that I always suggest that families do as a practice is really prioritize physical activity. Now, a lot of times when people say physical activities, they're just talking about exercise or they're talking about playing outside. Those are absolutely part of this. So playing outside and um, and encouraging them to do things with their bodies, not just be inside and and doing very, you know, um, non-activity, non-physical activity activities, uh, video games, and even just um, laying around in their rooms or whatever else, having them get fresh air, having them be outside, having them find interesting things and use different parts of themselves. But not just actual physical exercise, teaching them that their body is part of their regulation, that when our bodies are getting the right stimulation, our brains and our minds work better. 
that is a standard understanding in the world of counseling and even occupational therapy and other types of of interventions for people who um, who dysregulate frequently that our bodies have needs for the types of engagement and physical activity. And we can teach our kids, even our very little children, we can start teaching them, your body needs to move. Your body needs um, exercise. Your body needs to process out frustration. It's why exercise is such a really good release for adults when they're frustrated or had a hard day at work because our body can process that out too. So we teach our kids that their body is a vehicle for processing out difficulty and dysregulation. Um, Some examples of this is obviously playing outside and running around, but also just teaching kids smaller exercises or physical activities that help with regulation. Wall sits and push-ups are great muscle stimulation, and they have a regulating effect on on kids' bodies. Um, In a similar way for kids who tend to kind of dysregulate in stores and things like that, um, you can have um, one one of the things that I had an occupational therapist tell me one time is she would encourage parents for kids who are very, very, Uh, had a very hard time regulating in stores to have their little kids turn 10 full circles. So spinning around um, because there is a balancing thing that happens in our vestibular system. And then what they call deep proprioceptive muscle um, stimulation. She would have them push the wall for about 10 seconds. And she would, she would have them do this outside of the store before they went in. And parents saw great changes in their kids because right before they were going into a store, which stores, by the way, are designed to catch attention, sell people things. And so they are designed to dysregulate in certain ways to be distracting and those types of things. For kids who may dysregulate in that, it would help them with some vestibular and proprioceptive engagement before they walked in and they would do better in the stores than out. And so we teach our kids these things. Both of my kids uh, struggled in this area, especially in school. And so we came up with plans. I taught them several exercises that they could do by themselves. And part of their plans at school or that they were feeling like they were starting to dysregulate in class, they had the ability to signal somehow to the teacher and they would be allowed to walk out into the hallway and do a couple of these exercises and come back in. Um, It's fantastic because when kids feel like they're in the driver's seat of their own emotions and situations, they do better too. But they began to get this, um, this sense of, I can regulate myself not just through talking and not just through connection in my mind. I can also start with my body if that's easier. You can also let it be kid-led. Um, what makes you feel calm? Asking your kids, what makes you feel calm? What calms you down? Um, I've learned so much about my kids and how they do things differently um, my son tends to prefer to have some type of physical stimulation before he talks about things. So if he's had a rough day at school, we've been teaching him about his you know, body and how he can regulate through that. It's not uncommon for him to come home and say, um, hey, before I you know, do my homework or before I do this, can I just go run a mile real quick? Real quick, right? I wish that that was still my situation where I could just go run a mile real quick. Um, But he's uh, 13 and very athletic. And so um, we mapped out a mile. We have a street and four rounds around a certain part is is a mile. And he knows that. So he can go and run a mile. And usually he's a little bit more regulated when he comes back in and is able or ready to talk about things. So letting the kids tell us too and teaching them to think about what makes you calm. 
so that when they're not feeling good, when, when they're in the middle of feeling dysregulated or stressed out or frustrated, they can go back to, well, these are the things that you say calm you, even when you're, uh, when you're, when you are calm already, let's try one of those. Um, and our kids need the direction and help to our older kids. It's not just for little kids. Um, Emotions get really tricky in teenage years. They, uh, and I tell my, my kids that emotions are tricky. They'll trick you into things. Or they'll make you think things. And, and it's, it's kind of like being in a boat on some water. And it's going to toss and turn you places. But you need to know that your boat's stable and you're, you're not going to tip over. But our teenagers really need us engaging in helping them emotionally regulate. So that as their brain continues to develop while they're in this age, that they are doing so in a healthy way and they're learning coping strategies to deal with emotional shifts and moods as they're happening. So that's the first thing is just the emphasis on physical activity and teaching our kids that their bodies matter when it comes to stress and regulation. The second is teaching curiosity and tolerance. And these words, curiosity is one that I don't hear parents use a whole lot, and I wish they used a lot more. Um, and tolerance can have a different connotation. When I say, when I'm using curiosity and tolerance here, what I'm really indicating is the ability to hear other people see, do, and consider things differently and be able to emotionally tolerate the difference um, without dysregulating and fostering that the next move in our brains is not judgment, but is curiosity instead. It's interesting because this curiosity factor is one that we actually teach and really prioritize in counselor education. When we're teaching new counselors, we help uh, reroute people's brains to move from being judgment-based to curiosity-based. Because it opens up and allows us to enter the space of another person without becoming um, overwhelmed ourselves by all the things that we think about it. It's interesting because these are things that we don't normally, not everybody thinks about them being skills or something that you can learn, but it's absolutely a skill to move that way. Our brains are mapped out and our thought processes get well-worn paths, just like woods, just like it paths in the woods. You can go to... Um, a place that's been trekked a lot of hiking trail things like that and you see a well-worn path um, where people have walked and that's where it's easy to walk our brain paths are the same way when I hear something I don't like this is what I think then this is how I respond and those paths in our brain get well-worn moving from judgment to curiosity is like getting off of that hiking path and starting to hike up a hill that doesn't have a path carved out. It is very difficult sometimes and it's clunky and we have to move differently and then maybe the path doesn't work so well this time. But over the time of stopping and rerouting our brains for curiosity and challenging that, that becomes the well-worn path. And you can, over time, change the direction that your brain even, quote, naturally goes in because you've practiced it. And so... I, this is probably one of the most difficult things for a lot of parents to teach their kids, um, because let's face it, we're pretty judgy, right? And, and that's not necessarily a slam on any of us, but we know what we believe in a lot of places. We have ideas about what we think. And so when we hear something that we disagree with, our first thought is what or why we disagree with it. But if we can move out of that for the sake of teaching our kids to be curious and for their first mode to go to be curious, we're not teaching them to not have opinions, but we're teaching them just to engage a little differently on the front side. So I'll give you some examples. Um, In a non-stressful conversation, let's say you hear your kid 
you know, say something like, why are, why is that person doing that? That's so stupid. Um, here, here all the time, especially as kids get into teen years and they're hearing this too. Um, depending on the level of humor that you use in your home and the, the way that your kid prefers to be taught to, you've got to speak at their level and language. Some kids are like a little more humor and directness, some a little softness. Um, but you might say, hey, how could you say that in a more curious way instead of in a way that calls them stupid? Um, or, you know, how could you be curious instead of judgy? Or that sounds like a judge. Could you be a detective instead? Um, that one works really well with little kids, teaching them you're let, try to be a detective and not a judge. And so um, that sounds like a judge would say that. What would a detective say? I wonder why they're doing that. And then come up with creative ideas about maybe why else they could be doing that. So you're rerouting their concept to ask the same questions and to explore the same information, but to do so from a different, um, a bit of a different mindset. When our kids are talking to us, we can do it too. I think of times when kids say things like, you never let me go to my friend's house. You're so unfair. We can respond to that and say, that's not even true. Go to your room. <laughs> um, but these are opportunities as well, especially when we are regulated to say things like, listen, you're welcome to ask me about this and I will talk to you about it. But we both need to be calm and curious. And so kind of t mixing in timeouts and boundaries of I'm not going to talk to you when you're in a place where you're throwing things at me like this verbally. I will absolutely answer those questions and we can come back to it when you're calm. So let's take a break. So again, I've got um, in the communication series, I've got um, a message on um, taking timeouts and there's even one on boundaries in the family norms series. So if you haven't caught those, you might go back and listen to them. But it's integrating those even into our responses to our kids to say, I will absolutely meet you where you are, but I'm not going to do it like this. So that we're not being manipulated into letting our kids dysregulate us. Let's be honest, these types of things that they say are meant to dysregulate us so that we join them in the chaos. You don't want me to be happy. You always say no. That is, please join me in this chaos. That is the emotions I feel. And we default to joining them a lot of times. Um, in that situation, instead, it might be something like, remember, you speak for you and I speak for me. Anytime my kids would tell me what I think or feel, I would always tell them, you speak for you, I speak for me. You tell me what's going on in you. You're welcome to ask me what's going on in me. And that fosters that sense of curiosity, too. Instead of casting judgment on, I am deciding what you think. It's please tell me what's going on inside of you. Now, listen, this helps with emotional regulation in your home. This primes the pump for healthy relationships later. We all know that some of how adults, even in marriages and friendships and family relationships and any type of relationships dysregulates, is that people start assuming things about the other person and casting judgment, projecting things on the other person that, they, that they're feeling feeling. And a significant portion of work that I did in family and, and couples counseling was in unraveling communication patterns and how people said what they said. And these are the things that kind of trigger and dysregulate everyone and, up, and just send the house into upheaval. Now, here's the hard part. If that becomes a new norm for our house, that we don't speak for each other, then I also don't get to tell my kids what they were thinking, feeling, or meaning by what they do. I can tell them what it comes off to me that way, but I have to adjust my language too. I'll tell you though, if you if you really marry that idea and bring it into your home and use it, communication, even with your preteens and early teens um, and on into their teens, it stays a lot more stable. 
because the message is consistently, we all follow the same rules. I'm not going to tell you what you were thinking or feeling, and you don't get to say that for me either. So it, it gives this honor and respect to one another in the midst of it, but it sets a tone for how the dysregulation conversations go too. It's also very beneficial to teach curiosity and tolerance and in regular emotional situations to share our experiences with our kids. Even when they're little, we can talk about experiences that we've had, or especially if we do it with them, and explain how we're rerouting or how we're doing things. So I began to say, especially on this one, if I had said, like, this is, you know, when you, this is what you did, or this is what you meant, and uh, my kids would call me on it and would say, you don't get to say what I meant. <laughs> well, in that moment, of course, everything locks down inside and it just, you know, might make you so frustrated and so angry. And at the same time, really, really proud of them for developing that understanding. So then I would stop and go back and say, you're right. You tell me what you felt. Once that conversation was over, I would always visit it one more time outside of the emotions. Our kids learn so much outside of the emotions of the situation. So we might be driving in the car because like I said, that's one of my favorite times to talk to my kids. And I would say, hey, I want to talk to you guys about something. Do you remember this conversation we had? And you called me on it and you said I was doing it wrong. Yes, ma'am. They remember that for sure. And I would say, what did I do? Do you remember what I did? And we would go through and say, I stopped. I said I was sorry. I asked you to forgive me, and then I listened. And we would break that down. I would go, it would take longer than that, but they would say, oh, well, you listened to me. What, and what did I do? Did I tell you that you were wrong or did I get angry? No, you stopped. With them being able to see what I do, this is where modeling comes in. As parents, we model behavior for our kids that is so much more powerful than just what we tell them they need to do or not do. But I would help make those connections on the outside and solidify them so that they could see. And I would tell them, we follow the same rules. Any rules that we have for you, we follow too. Because it is important for us. We're raising you to be healthy people with healthy relationships. And so um, so finding those opportunities to kind of unpack situations where you get to be humble and check your ego. Because I'll tell you, one of the best ways to teach your kids is outlining and going back and redoing your mistakes or the issues that you have. I break down conversations that they hear um, my husband and I have all the time and explain what's going on of how we were patient with one another or how we weren't patient and then we apologize for it. And giving them the narrative of that and it helps them understand and see it differently. The last thing, and this is a little bit briefer, but I'll say this is one thing that I could probably do an entire series on. But as your kids get older, teach your kids that having an opinion and caring about something are not the same thing. Forming an opinion is a human process and a practice that is standard to us. We can look at two things and decide what we think about it. But caring about a topic means or a situation means that you're willing to put time and energy into finding out good information and contributing to a solution if it's a problem. It's beyond thoughts. It's beyond just a quick heuristical opinion. It's a willingness to give of yourself to engage in that topic, conversation, or issue. Um, and and I I find myself um, 
constantly teaching my own kids this too, that you you don't get to care about all the things. Not every opinion that you have is the most important thing to you. And you really have to be able to clarify what are the most important things in your life. And the other things, you just have to be okay saying that's not the most important thing to me right now. You can't do all you can't do all the sports and all the extracurriculars. You have to know who you are and what's important to you. You can't care about all the causes. You can care, but you can't do something at the level that makes change. We all have to understand where we fit into the world and into our systems and what we're built to do to make a difference. And for the rest of it, we can't let it get in the way from the stuff that we're supposed to be doing. So we can't get distracted being angry and upset at topics and conversations and things that people are doing that's not part of who we understand ourselves to be and what we want to contribute to. These are constant conversations, but if you start them early with kids, if you can find opportunities to teach them these early, it's so much easier to make those connections as they go into teen years. These three things lay a strong groundwork for healthy emotional regulation because they set a tone for it. In the next episode, I'm going to go into some things that get in the way, some general practices similar to these that if they're there, they're going to really hinder emotional regulation. Um, that we can go ahead and get out of the way and as a general practice, even in the regulated times. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.